Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I am just so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for just the beauty look at you got to see yourself all the colors all the age groups not you hun people with hair I mean it's just a, a from the place that I sit it is beautiful and I thank you for coming here today because you could have been anywhere but you are here in the house of the Lord and um, I'm excited about this plant the future campaign and I've been praying and declaring these things over our church, amen? It says that I pray the grace and the favor of God over my life, over the life of my family. I pray that I walk in the love and create an environment of breakthrough in my home and in my church. Help me to be a good steward of every resource you have entrusted to me. You have entrusted to me. There's resources that God has entrusted us. There's children, there's wealth, there's gifts. Those are things that he has entrusted to us. And I think that we get casual because we're waiting for something to fall from heaven and hit us in the head. But he has entrusted us with his word. Amen. He has entrusted us with the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that gives us wisdom. We are entrusted. That means that we are called. Amen. How many of you know that you are called to do great things? How many really understand that? Because when you understand that you are called to do great things, you understand that there's a focus that needs to happen. The enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy. And what does he do? He kills our passion for the will of God. Oftentimes, we think that he's going to come like a flood. We pray protection over our kids. We pray protection over natural things. But he comes to kill the passion for the will of God, for our call. There's so many great things that we could be doing, right? There's so many causes to be a part of. There's so many political things that captivate our minds. But when we understand that we are entrusted with certain things, we want to get focused and to understand what those things are. Amen? And, and we've been talking about breakthrough, and we've been talking about walking through life, and we've been talking about sowing, seed time. We've been talking about waiting. And before we get to breakthrough, right, there's a plateau that happens. How many know plateaus are boring? We're just walking through life. And as those long stretches of God, I planted, God, I watered, we can get discouraged. And Pastor Emily said something that was so key, that we have to learn how to encourage ourselves. Amen? And there are times in my life where I'm walking through, you know, the plateau, everyday life, just being faithful. And, and I can encourage myself. But there are times in my life where I'm walking through the plateau where I need encouragement. Amen? And we're going to talk about 
encouragement from a mentor. And I was just thinking about the mentors in my life. You know, some of them are unlikely mentors. We have an idea of who we want to mentor us. Amen. And this was an unlikely mentor. I was about, how old was I? I was about 22 years old, and I just finished graduate school, and I got a job. I got a job in a little old town called Smithfield, North Carolina. Lord help me. <laughs> nothing but cotton and good ham, I tell you. But, but there was nothing there. This was like a plateau a plateau experience. But in that plateau, God showed me an unlikely mentor. And could you believe it? It was my boss. My boss. This is a person. I like that, that dramatic effect. What is she going to say? <laughs> it's coming. Holy wind. Fresh fire. <laughs> and I just thank God. It was a mentor. And she, her name was Alice. That's a boring name. Her name wasn't Fantasia. Her name wasn't Heather. Her name was Alice. Alice. But Alice changed the trajectory of my life. Sometimes we have unlikely mentors, mentors that we would not choose for ourselves. So here I have Alice, this, this middle-aged woman, and she seemed so unassuming, you know? She was just so quiet, and she was meek, but when I understood who Alice was... Now, let me tell you a little history about Smithfield, North Carolina. Smithfield, North Carolina is Smithfield, North Carolina. I remember driving, you know, I was coming from New York City, and I, I was living in Raleigh, so got some diversity and culture. But as I was driving to work, I saw cotton fields, and I saw people working, and I said, oh, Lord. And, I, and then I heard Mahalia Jackson in the background humming. I was like, oh, Lord, this is, this is something. And then I went to work, and then it was like this big... Uh, it was a mental health center. It was a child guidance clinic. And it was all the individuals who were counseling, all the staff that held up the agency. And it was me. I was the only little African-American <laughs> psychologist from New York at the time. I just finished my New York internship. And I was just happy to be here. But I didn't know about the culture of the place. So what do I do? Black girl from Connecticut. I walk in, I'm like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, oh, nice to see you. She's excited. And, <laughs> and it's best not to know because I, I, I just love all people, you know? And, and, and so Alice was an African-American psychologist and she was the head of outpatient mental health. She was the head of psychology for children. And I, I got the first whiff of segregation of politeness, but you're different. And like I said, I, I did not have any experience, and I thank God for that experience. And let me tell you, it wasn't like a, 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 a direct statement, like, I don't know about you. It was just a fear of the unknown. They weren't used to having young professionals of color in that space. So it wasn't like they were mean, but it was a different experience. And so after the first week, Alice came to my, I came to Alice's office and I was talking about the caseload I had and the children that I was helping. And she said, how are you 
doing? And I said, oh, great. This is going. I'm learning my keys. I'm learning the computer. She said, no. How are you doing? And I said, oh, well, I'm fine. She said, OK, I'm going to ask you one more time. <laughs> and then I started to get understanding as she began to ask, how are you doing? And I said, it's different. <laughs> it's different. And she said, you are working for the Lord. Never forget that. When you understand your calling, you're not distracted by people. And, and that's what I want to talk to you about. When you understand your calling, you are not distracted by people. This woman was the first director of psychology in this area. So she had to come up under different times. I mean, they were calling people color, amen, in the 90s. And so there was a mindset. And it was easy for me to be like, oh, emotional and have a feeling about it. But I understood my calling. And I, my calling was to love all people and let Christ be known to them. Amen? So sometimes we allow our emotions to get us off of track of what our calling is. It's not, what I, it's not right. I'm Democrat. It's not right. I'm Republican. What are you called to do? What is our mission as the local body? Amen? And so I think of Timothy. Timothy was an amazing young man. I mean, he had to take the torch after Paul. I mean, there's a lot of people I would go after, but Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the Bible, who, who ministered to thousands, both Jewish and Gentile, he was bold. He didn't have a problem saying what he needed to say. It, that had to be, I would have been afraid. As I was reading the text, I was studying who Timothy was, a young minister, and what I inferred from the scripture is that Timothy was prone to sickness. Timothy was introvertish, amen? And Timothy sometimes was a little timid. And I'm like, well, God, why are you giving him this unlikely mentor? Like, why would you do that? Wouldn't you give him someone who is just like him so he can tell him of this is how I overcame dealing with people, dealing with offenses? And this is very interesting that Timothy succumbed to the fear, but how many of us succumb to fear? Amen? He had a thing that we all have, this flesh. Amen? And if we do not keep our focus and keep our allegiance to the man, the, 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 the one who called us, we will allow fear to overtake our lives. He had weakness. He had instability. And, and, and many times, we're our worst enemy. And, 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 and there's this um, belief that if I'm gifted, if I learn how to do the job, that was me. I'm doing the job. I have my keys. I have what I need. I'm educated. But if you do not have the mental toughness, the mental toughness to overcome, you will not enjoy the fruit of your breakthrough. 
You can have everything in front of you, but if your mind is unstable, you will not be able to enjoy the fruit that God has given you. There's sometimes in my life where I'm just like looking for something and God is saying, open your eyes, look up. It's already here. But if we're distracted by the naysayers, we're distracted by every wind of doctrine, we won't be focused on the things of God. So what does the enemy do? do? He, under, he kills our passion for the will of God. He comes to steal our vision for our lives. We get double vision. And so we can't let him do that. And if he can kill our passion for God's will, if he can steal the vision for our lives, then he destroys our overflow and our breakthrough. It's in the mind. You know people who can be wealthy but still have nothing? You know, I had a a cousin who died uh, not too long ago, three weeks ago, and he was one of the wealthiest individuals you know, won Emmys, won so many accolades. And those millions cannot save him. And sometimes you need a mentor to prepare you mentally to be able to handle the breakthrough that you will walk into. There's some type of sabotage that we do. We, 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 we get a level of stability. You know that plateau? That plateau. And then the enemy convinces us that it's not enough. Did God say, is that really for you? And it's a whisper. It's not a loud, dramatic, horned, you know, thing that we know it's the enemy. It's like, you can do, you can do better. You know, I, I got in this job and I was like, Lord, where did you bring me? <laughs> but did you know through the course of several years when I worked there, I met some of the most fascinating people. And with my relationship of working with children who were suicidal and who were depressed, it changed the views of their parents. They didn't see that I was an African-American woman. They saw that I had the answer, and it was Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we act just like the world. We're offended just like the world, because we don't understand who we are and whose we are. (laughs) We can be just like the world. I'm offended. This ain't right. Trump ain't right. The Democrats ain't right. The Republicans ain't right. But guess what? Give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God. We should not confuse our personal beliefs, and our offenses with what God has called us to do. Amen? So let's talk about the encouragement from a mentor because we will become discouraged, um, you know, when we're not in that mountaintop and then when we're not in the valley because in the valley we're just like, Lord, please, Jesus, help me, save me. We're close to God. We're getting up extra early. I need a breakthrough. My kids are sick. We need some shoes. We are close to God when we are in the valley. And then when we're in a mountain, we are feeling good. And sometimes we actually can walk in a level of pride, thinking that it's our gifts that got us here in hard work and discipline. It got me here. And so we don't pray as often. 
But when we're in the plateaus of life, I was talking to Pastor Pete about the plateaus. The plateaus are good. The plateaus are where you get the vision and the strategy and the creativity for your life. I thank God for plateaus. You know, remember the kids were young. It was like, I didn't hear anything from school this week. No one broke anything. This is, this is good. I'm not being judged. This is wonderful. But the plateaus are where we get the wisdom, where we get the encouragement, because we're not in crisis mode and we're not in the mountaintop. Amen? And so Timothy met Paul in Lystra. During Paul's second missionary journey, he learned of Timothy's reputation, just as a person, not as a leader, but just that he was a Christian, right? Some of us just need to be Christians. We <laughs> just, you know, is anybody saved? Could we just be Christians, you know? Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat on your wives. Just, just old-fashioned Christianity. Amen? <laughs> We have to say that these days. And it's not to judge us. It's, it's not to judge us because we do fail. Amen? And there's mercy for that. But Timothy was known not because of his great preaching or his great abilities. He was just known because of his exceptional character. Right? And so Timothy was interesting because he had to be an interesting match for Paul because he was mixed race, if you will. He was mixed culture. Um, I think his, his mother uh, was a, a Jewish woman and his father was Greek. So that can have an interesting dynamic, especially back then when Paul was ministering to both Jewish people and Gentile people, and it was new. Now, mind you, Timothy is getting the baton. He is taking on the mantle. So there's a, a dynamic. I want you to understand the relationship dynamic. It was not easy. Amen. And it could be some benefit because he was mixed culture, you know, but that, you know, some people were wondering about his circumcision and 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 and, and Paul had to navigate those cultural uh, Jewish traditions, but at the same time evangelizing to Gentiles. Amen. So that had to be a very nuanced thing. Amen. And so Timothy was both familiar with the Jewish and the Greek um, uh, cultures. And so that could be positive as well as a challenge. But then Timothy took on the mantle. You know, he took on the mantle for what Paul was doing. You know, Paul was an apostle. He was a church planner. And, and he needed someone to take on that mantle. We're going to look at the text to understand why that was such an enormous task. Timothy had the enormous responsibility, and Timothy had a shepherd's heart. He already had a tender heart, but one thing he lacked was boldness. Now, who was Paul? We think we know Paul. Paul's an apostle. But this text that we're going to read is 2 Timothy, and this was a real intense and serious time. He was in jail. He was close to his life ending. And so there's an urgency in this letter. Now imagine Paul. He was already bold enough. But when you read 2 Timothy, he did not hold back from what he wanted to say. It was the last epistle that he wrote. 
it started off like most of his letters, you know, giving greetings and salutations and talking about memorials and how he remembered him in prayers. But his words were urgent and nearing death and because he was nearing death. How many of you had that experience of being around somebody when they're close to death? Anybody have that experience? And, 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 and if you're wise, if you want to be a good steward of their legacy and the wisdom that they have to share, you really want to hear what matters. You want to hear what they've really thought, the mistakes, the things they wished they um, would have done. You know, we've read about different people who were billionaires who, who said, I wish I would have loved more. I wish I would have took time out more. I wish I would have given more. And so this is what this letter was about. Now, encouragement is the action of giving support, confidence, and hope. So let's go to 2 Timothy 1, 3, and 7. I really want us to really delve into this text to really understand that this was a time of unrest, okay? This was a time of unrest. Peter had been crucified in Rome. Matthew um, was killed in Ethiopia. Thomas was killed in southern India. And John was poisoned in Rome. So I want to create this text because sometimes we read scripture and we forget to get the cultural context, to get the timeline, and we just take a American, American lackadaisical approach. But when he pins these words, it's coming from a place of, I don't have time to sugarcoat anything. I want you to get this. I know I've had a great calling. I know I finished the race well, but you have to get this thing through. You have to get this message. You have to understand what has been entrusted to you. So we have 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. Paul states, now imagine in Rome, in prison, I can imagine a candle being lit. I can imagine him up in age, his late 60s, someone bringing him a, a, a cloak to keep him warm. And he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. My prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to the remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. The faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which you need to, which was in your forefathers, without ceasing, I remember you, and is in your prayers, in the laying on of hands. He's calling, he's recalling to him the moment where the transfer, the anointing, when, he's, when he was called, and he is in prison. He is on his last uh, so, so to speak, a stretch of life, and he is encouraging Timothy, who is introverted, who is afraid, who people have risen up with all types of uh, false doctrines in his care, and he is saying, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. God has not given 
us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I was looking up that text about the, the, that word fear in this context. And it doesn't have to do with, it doesn't have anything to do with being afraid of uh, spooky movies or cats or like I am. Um, they're just weird, man. Um, yeah, but, uh, but I'm healed. Um, it's not about being afraid of the boogeyman, right? It has a connotation of being fearful of man, of being fearful of man. Now, Timothy had the tools, he had the education, he had the knowledge, he had the cultural intelligence because he was both Greek and he was Jewish. He had the practical skills to lead this congregation, to be uh, his representative on earth, to be the next minister, so to speak, over everything that Paul had started. But he had the spirit of fear. And when you have the spirit of fear, skill doesn't matter. When you have the spirit of fear, the people around you, they don't matter because that spirit just takes over. When you have the spirit of fear, you can sabotage what you labored for, what you've sown for, what you've waited for on the plateaus, what you've, what you've prayed for and cried out. If you have the spirit of fear, you can destroy everything that you believe for. The spirit of fear is satanic, ladies and gentlemen. It's this, I'm not talking about feeling a little bit of anxiety. Some anxiety is normal. I wouldn't go to work if I didn't have a mortgage to pay. So some stress is good. You know, some stress is good. I'm not saying all normal, natural anxiety because something is new. But the spirit of fear is a prison. And Paul knew that he was in a physical prison, but he knew Timothy was in a mental prison of fear. Why? Because in Rome, these false doctrines, they were showing off. You know, when the kids would go, when we would go away and we'll leave the, log, the, the, the oldest kid in charge, you know, they'll start showing off. Mommy didn't say you could do that. <laughs> I don't know if you can have a bottle of water. Clean up that, you know. So that's what started to happen. Paul's in prison and the church started to show off, right? They started to test Timothy's leadership. And Paul said, this is his last words, the last epistle he wrote. He said, you have to get this. That spirit did not come from God. He didn't minimize that it was real. He didn't minimize that. Uh, he didn't condemn him for feeling a certain way. He didn't act like it wasn't there because you'll have Christians. You're not afraid. Trust God. No, he recognized that he had a spirit of fear. But he kept saying it's not of God. It's not of God. So if it's not from God, it's from the enemy. Remember, the enemy wants to kill our vision. He wants to steal our passion for the will of God and make us desire things that are not his will of God, the will of God in our lives. And so the spirit of fear, and, and, and Paul was so beautiful because they had this relationship. If you can recall the earlier text, you know, when he spoke on love to him, you remembering his tears. You know, I could imagine the tears that Timothy felt when they would part and do different trips. And this one would go to Corinth and, and, and th different churches. But he said, I remember the tears. So there was a bond there, 
right? So he didn't have an issue with being firm and saying this spirit of fear, this is not condemning you. I'm not competing with you. I'm not exploiting your weakness, but this spirit of fear has to go. Stir up the gift in you. Be bold. Go for it. Timothy was the type that was introvertish. So he kind of went inward when things would happen. You know, introverts are awesome. They're writers. They're, they're deep thinkers. And extroverted people are more, um, they're enamored. They get strength from their environment and people around them. But there's weaknesses and there's strengths to each personality type, right? And extroverts need to make their world smaller so they can hear from God and not over here, shiny, hi, you know, uh, you know, we have to go in. You, you should see me in my morning time with the Lord. It's just like 10 minutes of like, oh my God, that's not clean. All of a sudden I want to clean. I'm into cleaning. You know, what is that? I don't like cleaning. Like, oh God, I got to clean. I'm such a bad wife. This house is so clean. No, 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 just stay focused. And introverts sometimes can get stuck in their heads, right? They get stuck in their heads and they mull over the same thought over and over. What about this option? What if they leave the church? What if they don't like me? What if I can't handle it? Paul's in jail and he's not coming out. And that spirit of fear was gripping him. And, and you have some people who appear bold, but they're just pretending. You know, those people who, you know, their bark is worse than their bite, you know. I, we always used to say, um, I had a aunt who, we, she was one of those people. You know, she would just be screaming and don't do anything. She'd yeah, no, y'all better get off this porch and do this and don't let me come upstairs. I'm like, what's going to happen? She ain't going to come. She's just talking. But my mother, she had that silent strength. She'll be cooking, and I'll say something that I didn't think was a bad word, you know. <laughs> Boom. Well, what happened? We were just, I didn't think that was a, a bad word. Words kill. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> My friends are over, Mom. This could have waited till later. But she didn't break a sweat. Hey, Tiff, you want something to eat? Mom, you just smacked me in front of my friend. How, did, how could this? You didn't warn me? Why aren't you like your sister who tells you she's going to do it? But that's how my mother was. And so some people, I don't know, I just wanted to tell that just to get support. Just to get healing. Amen. There's healing in the room. This is a hospital. Amen. And so... There's those type of people who are bold, right? And then there's those who pretend. But Paul wanted to make sure that Paul was neither, amen? He had the courage to speak the truth in love. Paul did not shy away from any confrontation, amen? So I can imagine Timothy like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do with these people? And, and, and so power, love, and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. So as I was studying the word power, you can look up the context. It, 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 that word dunamis or dynamite, explosive, comes to mind. But as I began looking deeper, it had that connotation of like a soldier, amen? Like the forces, like I'm not by myself, but I have an army behind me, amen? So that power and, and, and breakthrough, Breakthrough has to happen when we have that army life of power in us, amen, and that we can break through the lies and the fear 
of man. This text is relating to the fear of man. What areas are you afraid of man? What did God tell you you were supposed to do? What areas do you say you fear man? It may not be a, a, a fear like, oh, they're going to get me, but a fear of them not accepting us, a fear of them thinking that my goals are too lofty and they're going to reject me. Fear of man can manifest in so many different areas, but let it be known that the fear of man is a snare. It is a distraction, and it must be dealt with. Power is focused. So when I think about soldiers walking through a town, and they're focused, they're not concerned with civilian things. They have one goal, which is to destroy and to reach their goal. Amen? And so I just think about power to do what we're called to do and understanding that it's not us alone understanding that the devil is a liar and the truth is in him, and understanding that we are never alone. Amen? And I think of love. With so much stuff is about love. I'm so tired of hearing about love, but I love love. <laughs> if I see one more Instagram post about love, 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 we got to love each other. I love people. I don't judge people. What, what is that? What is love? I need you to speak into my life and tell me if I'm going to a pit. Don't tell me it's all right, because I don't want to be shipwrecked. That's Amen? That's love. <laughs> you loving me, and then you talking about me. Oh, Lord, we didn't love him enough in that pit. <laughs> Amen? So what is love? Love is powerful thing. Love is God. Amen? So when someone tells you they love you, but they don't give to you, they don't love you. If someone tells you they love you, but there's no sacrifice, they don't love you. Amen? And so we think the cure to fear is faith, but the cure to fear is receiving love. It's love. You can't stir up more faith when you're down and when the spirit of fear has gripped you. You need to receive the love of God so you understand where your confidence and your righteousness comes from. Amen? You don't need another pep talk because you know you'll feel good for a moment, but then that spirit of fear is talking to you again, making you think that you're alone, making you think that God isn't, that God isn't faithful. So you have to understand fear is real, and the cure to not having enough faith is love. What areas are you were not receiving the love of God in your life? Is there some area we talked about shame with Pastor Emily in that, in that series? What remnants of shame, what pockets of unforgiveness that you have towards yourself? What areas do you need to allow the bomb of God's love to enter into? What, what, who told you you weren't good enough? Who said that to you? Who said that? Those are lies. I am so convinced that Christians, when we struggle with fear and we struggle with receiving God's love, it's because we've been listening to the wrong thing more than we've been listening to the right thing. Who told you you weren't worthy? Who told you that goal and that dream was too big? 
it's usually from a satanic place. Amen? And so my favorite, I love talking about this, sound mind. Sound mind. He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So I was so excited to read this part about sound and mind. But then I was like, this is just, it just means unstable. Lack of discipline. I'm like, Lord, but you know, maybe we're struggling in our minds because, you know, we, 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 we weren't loved and, we, and, and, and we're just depressed and, and, and we have this anxiety disorder. Maybe that's the reason why. And it's like, you're not stable. You're not stable in the word of God. You know, we talked about the plateau. That plateau is for increasing stability. It's for walking out your faith and walking out the word that was entrusted to you. You know, some of us want another prophetic word. We want another word that's going to change our lives. But we, we haven't exercised the word that's in us. Those plateaus are for walking out. Okay, I got I to gotta practice my joy. I got to practice my love. I got to receive my love. We're waiting for this big breakthrough, but we're not going to be able to sustain it because we don't have stable sound, one foot in front of the other, mind. Sound mind. It's what does God's word say about me? And if we don't get that, nothing else matters. <laughs> nothing else matters. Nothing else matters if we don't understand that stability comes from the Lord. And how do we do that? What do we do? Is there a technique? Is there an acronym? No. The word of God, James 1 through 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So when I studied that context of sound mind, this instability came up. This scripture came up. So we have to get stable in what God called us to do. What is the will of God for my life? And does this fit in to what the will of God is in my life? If it doesn't and I'm on a rabbit trail, I'm, I'm unstable. If I'm with people, if I'm hearing things that do not line up with that vision, that focus, if I'm concerned with civilian life more than being a soldier of the Lord, I will be unstable and double-minded in all our ways. Amen? So he says to stir up the gift. Remember Paul said that? He told Timothy to stir up the gift. And to stir up the gift is to kindle afresh, to keep in full flame. Now, there's no necessary suggestion that Timothy had lost his, his, his passion for the things of God. But remember, Paul was about to die. Amen. And so he is just talking. He talked prophetically at the end of Second Timothy about the end days and what will come. So he's talking about this is how you stir up the gift of God in your life. Keep that fire aflame. And, and, and he wanted him to understand that everything that he did, everything that God has entrusted to him is basically on the line. If we allow our passions to be dim. If we allow the distractions of life to be 
fulfilled. You know, we, we look at our ambitions and we look at the will of God. And I believe that when you're walking with God, his will for your life becomes your ambition. And when you're double-minded, Lord, 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 his plan for your life becomes your will. It's his will for your life. You see what I'm saying? When you are spending time with God, you become like him. And I just wanted to end with what are the characteristics of a mentor? What are the characteristics of a mentor? Because Paul was an unlikely mentor. They, they, I would not put them together. You know, Shine, we're developing um, a mentor program to, to launch um, for the ladies this this spring, and so there's a part of the program where we want to match people with personalities. I want to have matched Paul and Timothy, but God did, amen? And so what, who was Paul? What were the characteristics of a Paul? He lived a proven but not a perfect life. That means he was steadfast. He was consistent. Don't pick a mentor if they are unstable. <laughs> I don't have a scripture for that. That's just... Not perfect, but proven. That means we have our bad days, but proven. Paul was interesting because he knew he was just awesome apostle, an awesome teacher, um, awesome in everything he did, but he did not exploit weaknesses. He was able to look at different perspectives and different viewpoints, and, and he was able to share what Timothy need to do through those lenses. So pick a person that can be objective, you know what I mean? Someone does, that does not have their motives for your life. I want you to do this. I want you to help me. So if it doesn't line up with what I want as your mentor, it's not God. You can't play around with people. God has entrusted resources to you. He's entrusted wealth. He's entrusted people. He's entrusted children to you. So you want a mentor that takes that seriously, that understands that you are something to be steward. He doesn't, Paul did not own Timothy, but he understood that he had a calling and he wanted to help him. And remember, your mentor helps you to remember. Your mentor helps you to remember. He recalled when you're allowing the spirit of fear to come into your life. He remembered the faith that your grandma Lois had and your mother Eunice had. He reminded him of the anointing. He didn't kick him when he was down. And lastly, he kept him focused. You got to stay focused. I know a lot of creative people, you know, and, and sometimes you see the lives of people. I saw this, the life of Morgan. He was a famous, not a famous, but he was a, a musician in the 30s and 40s. And he was in Harlem. He, he was the best tr trumpeteer. But they said other people surpassed him because he couldn't stay focused. He had all these great ideas. And, and uh, Herbie Hancock was talking about him. And he was saying, I was not as good as he was, but I showed up. I showed up. I was steadfast. Characteristics of a mentee, be an active listener. Reflect on what's being said to you. If my mentor is saying something to me, reflect on it. I, I have wisdom, you know. I have wisdom, but maybe God is saying this to me. 
You know, be a reflective listener. Mentees must not move in blind faith. That's how cults start, when people start blindly believing stuff. You have to see with the eyes of faith, but you have to use wisdom. You know, anyone that tells you to do something that does not bear with your spirit is not of God, no matter how much you respected them. Mentors can get off. And so sometimes you may have a mentor for a season, but God gives you somebody more stable in your life presently. So know when the season is over. Remain teachable, teachable as a person and teachable as a leader. We must be teachable. Timothy was teachable. And and, in closing, I just want to say that when you're in a planting phase, it's easy. You've got your happy, there's an expectancy, you're planting the seed, you're planting, you're watering, the sun's coming out, that's great, right? And then you're in a waiting phase. And that waiting phase is really when this scripture is, is, is important. That, that phase of plateau, that's when you need the voice of a mentor. You can encourage yourself because that's great, but you need the, the I know who to call. I call Denise, I call Alice, I call my mentors when I'm weary, amen? Because we will grow weary. And that's when you have to have time-tested, proven mentors, and you have to remain teachable. Paul was an unlikely mentor to him because they weren't alike, but they had one thing in common. They wanted to do the will of God. They changed the world. They, they stood in the face of people being flogged, people being killed for the gospel's sake. They were called on a mission and they were focused. Stand with me. We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.